Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, a snowy edition. It's snowing here tonight in the land of enchantment, of the other side of midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when increasingly, not even on this show, but all over the world, incredibly seminal history-changing things are happening, and they're happening literally right in front of our eyes. Now, the problem is that we have two different sets of eyes watching. We have one set which says, okay, this is happening. Then we have another set looking at the same information, the same data, and they're saying something radically, totally different is happening. And I'm really grappling with this because I, you know, this intrigues me. I don't think it's official politics. I don't think it's psychology. I don't think it's upbringing or training or, you know, listening to Fox. I think it's something much deeper and therefore much more interesting. And I'm trying to find the right people to assemble to have the right kind of conversation on the other side of midnight because you cannot live as a democratic society in a fragmented reality. Either everyone agrees that this, these are the facts. Remember what, what Justice was it who said, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. The problem is that we have ever since Kelly, you know, Conway stood on the White House driveway and said, well, these alternative facts, which, of course, is, is nuts. It's insane. There's only one set of facts. The problem, of course, for limited, frail, fallible human beings is determining what are the facts? And I will definitely, I will promise this audience that <clears throat> for the next few weeks or out, we're going to have someone on the show, the person I've been kind of chasing for, for several uh, years now, an epistemologist to discuss how do you discern facts? How do you, you know, how do you figure out the truth from just error or in a more pernicious case, outright lies and falsehoods that is the trick that is the problem so um let's go to uh, for those of you who are new to the show you want to click on the other side of midnight.com that's our website and then you want to look for the banner tonight for sunday night january 7th an exopolitical origin for the hebrew people as a driver of anti-semitism now that's a deliberately evocative and provocative headline that's how you get folks to pay attention i'm hoping at the end of our three hours tonight that you will have a little better appreciation of the complexities of what's going on in gaza what's been going on with the jewish people for millennia and a larger frame a background in which to put these current events into a 
<clears throat> hopefully more appropriate context. We will get to that. In the meantime, when you go to click on that banner tonight on the main page, the home page of the other side of midnight, click on the banner that will take you to what we call the guest page. And you'll see the same banner at the top of the guest page. And under the banner, you will see two little lines of white type on black background. The first one says fast links to items. Click on my name, which, by the way, in case you don't know where you are, you're in Richard Hoagland's domain. That will take you to the uh, uh, show page uh, region of the guest page where we have what we call radio with pictures. And item number one, these are news items, uh, I found <clears throat> from Reuters a very good summary of the last three quarters of a century of insanity in the Middle East, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the origins of the wars that have been going on there interminably for almost a century, um, background on the politics, the UN, the uh, uh, British Empire collapse, the designation of the Palestinian state um, as non-functioning, you know, the creation of the state of Israel, and originally, you know, there were supposed to be two states. <clears throat> Under the uh, declarations, there was supposed to be an Israeli state and a Palestinian state. Well, in the short term, the huge fundamental problem with the Middle East was the seeds of its destruction, the seeds of everything we're seeing tonight in terms of the insanity going on in Gaza, started from the elimination of a second Palestinian state co-equal with the state of Israel. And from thence, all these later problems have ensued, multiplied like gangrene. And the way out of the box is not the Netanyahu non-solution. Non so we will, we will get to that. Item number two. Um, I found a chronicle the other day. Um, unfortunately, it was on Wikipedia. And if a lot of you, like me, do not trust Wikipedia, particularly when it comes to political uh, content, uh, I looked for another source. This is from the Britannica, which I think is a little more objective. Just the history of anti-Semitism. Why have the Jewish people for millennia, and this goes <clears throat> way, way, way back, and it's documented. It's not, you know, you can't argue that the Jewish people have been, you know, persecuted, derided, um, enslaved, uh, disparaged, uh, every possible indignity you can imagine visited upon them as has been done to other people, other groups uh, on this planet. Humans do not have a good track record here. Boy, do we not. But why has such a tiny population. I mean, the number of uh, Jewish people or people espousing the uh, Jewish religion is in the order of under 20 million on a planet of 7 billion people. How come they still in the 21st century, particularly now around this country, around the world, uh, the current you know, Israeli government situation and Gaza notwithstanding, why is there a rising curve of really overt acts and 
naked expressions of hate and denigration and all. Why are this is this tiny population infinitesimal compared to the people on planet Earth tonight? Why have they been and continue to be singled out? My guest, uh, Dr. Alfred Weber, he has a JD, among other things. We're going to get into that momentarily. Why, why has he figured it out in one way that leads him to a really set of extraordinary out-of-the-box conclusions? And I, who's a mainstream scientist, you know, Cronkite, NASA, etc., looking at this through totally different lenses, have come to essentially the same conclusion but through totally separate doorways. I love the idea of independent confirming evidence. That's one of the ways you figure out truth from lies or stupidity. You get independent confirmation, but you have to make sure that the sourcing is really, really independent. It's like that old Marin joke about, you know, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb in Marin County? Well, only one. <clears throat> But the light bulb has to want to change. You have to really want to find the truth and you have to slog through the muck and the mire and the noise and the, all the other stuff to get to those nuggets. But you must make sure they are truly independent. And that's why I um, instantly when I saw Alfred's latest or one of his, his latest uh, uh, opinion pieces, I said, I've got to get him on the show because this is exactly what we need to be talking about. The really deep, really extraordinary, in both our separate models, origins of anti-Semitism on planet Earth tonight in the early part of the 21st century. By the way, Happy New Year, everyone. You, uh, as Betty Davis said, you better buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Item number three. This is not just brought in because, you know, we do E.T. stuff or that uh, Alfred is an expert in the E.T. stuff. This is incredibly relevant. One of the reasons why we're having this conversation tonight, he and I, why it's possible for us to have this conversation tonight is because of what's going on in Washington. Oh, I can hear you groaning even now all the way around the world. Yes, because what's happening in Washington is that next week, the subcommittee led by the Tennessee Congressman uh, Burchette is having a private briefing by the Inspector General of the Defense Department of the United States of America, a classified briefing on the subject of, wait for it, UFOs. I mean, come on. Did anybody out there, did any of you think in our lifetime this would go from the 11 o'clock end story at the end of the 11 o'clock news, what we used to call the kicker, to where it is a mainstream subject? If you want to know how mainstream this has become, you want to go to the Paradigm Research Group's uh, website, uh, Paradigm, you know, RG, and uh, that's run by our friend and colleague, Steve Bassett. He is tabulating, thank God somebody is, the extraordinary rising curve of serious mainstream media news, papers of record, major network coverage of the UAP UFO 
uh, disclosure process. It is now completely in the realm of mainstream politics, backbiting, backstabbing, you know, gaining advantage over your opponents, uh, telling partial truths, which is like telling, you know, lies uh, on the uh, cheap. In other words, it's it's been brought in. This this extraordinary subject finally has been brought within a general mainstream conversation. And frankly, I don't really care what the laws are. I care that they sabotage the Schumer Amendment and that the current NDAA has such a watered-down version of the Schumer Amendment on UAP disclosure of technology and information and bodies and all that, that it's basically pointless. That's not the point. The biggest inhibitor to a general political resolution through the normal political process where every other human problem has to be at some point resolved is to make it part of the conversation. Uh, Years ago when uh, Carl Sagan was talking to one of our colleagues about the early Mars investigations at SRI, um, Dr. John Brandenburg, Um, Brandenburg had done some really interesting early, early analysis as part of our investigation uh, when I brought it to his attention that the isotopic ratios of the Martian atmosphere corresponded much more to what I would see in the aftermath of a major thermonuclear war than simply cosmic rays and spallation of heavy nuclei in the atmosphere, et cetera, et cetera. And he eventually wrote a book about ancient nuclear war on Mars based on those first conversations as part of the independent Mars investigation. Well, with his background as a nuclear physicist and his participation in our work, our early work at SRI, he called up Sagan one day and he tried to tell him, I forget what the detail was, and Sagan said to him, uh, Dr. Brandenburg, it's not whether you're right or wrong. You're not even in the conversation. And that has been the attitude regarding UFOs, ETs, hyperdimensional beings, paranormal ghosts, return of ancient loved ones, all of this foo-foo stuff, it's not even been in the mainstream conversation until tonight. Now, not exactly tonight. It's been the last, you know, several months. But if you watch, as I do, mainstream indicators for what's in, what's out, what's de rigueur, what's... uh, you know, beyond the pale, I can think of some more cliches if you want to wait a minute. Uh, in other words, what it's kind of politically appropriate to talk about, suddenly, overdue by decades, the immersion of human experience, the immersion of human history in the UFO ET hyperdimensional milieu is becoming part of the mainstream conversation. So, frankly, again, I'm going to reiterate, I don't care what the laws are. As soon as you have made this subject comfortable at a cocktail party on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, you have crossed a Rubicon where wherever it lies, with whomever it lies, and whoever is concealing what it lies, it's all going to collapse. The cover-up is in the process before our very eyes of collapsing, regardless of a specific act of legislation, because there are more good people than bad. 
there's more truth than lies, there's more human curiosity than indifference or fear, and with all those on our side, I would say that 2024, grading into 2025, is going to be perhaps two of the most pivotally, semi important transitional years in the history of not only the United States, but of the entire world. Okay, moving on, let's skip item number four because that will come into my conversation with Alfred. Item number five, one of the things that's going to accelerate the movement of these you know, woo-woo subjects into the mainstream and their treatment as serious as everything else that we think is serious, and a lot of that, frankly, is not. It's just distraction, is what's going on under the rubric of item number five. This is from Universe Today. It was published a few weeks ago. It's called An Alternative Theory of Inertia Will Get Tested in Space. As you know, there is a, an active spacecraft in orbit tonight called Barry One, put together by an independent uh, uh, group uh, out of South Dakota called IV Systems, launched by another independent group out of Laconia, New Hampshire, called Rogue Space Systems. You get the idea? And what they've done is they together combine their forces and the IVO guys have created a space drive, a hyper-dimensional space drive in two forms, which is in this CubeSat spacecraft called Barry-1, which is orbiting tonight. Uh, average altitude is about 320 or 30 miles above the Earth. And it was launched as part of a cluster of spacecraft that uh, Elon Musk and others now launched what they called ride-along satellites. They have a big booster. They've got space, they've sold commercial space to launch X number of payloads. Um, they've got space left over. The rocket is going to overperform for the allocated payloads that it's carrying. So some brilliant genius set up the idea, well, if we have extra space, really wait, why don't we dedicate it to other payloads which would have a lesser priority except we've got space? So the rogue people launched their spacecraft on one of Musk's rockets, a Falcon 9, with a whole bunch of other payloads uh, on the on the November, uh, it was November 11th of 2023, just a couple months ago, just shy of a couple months ago. And the payloads were all dispersed. They're in their proper orbits now functioning fine uh, because of Musk and other visionaries in the space business that basically say, okay, let's, how do we use this resource to maximize not profits, but opportunity to move the whole space business, space game, space um, infrastructure forward. So tonight we've got Barry One orbiting the Earth every 95 minutes, give or take, in this uh, median altitude of 320-some miles. It varies between 317 now and about 341, I think. And they've been watching it, and we've been watching it, including some members of our enterprise team, as under normal atmospheric drag, its orbit has been getting lower and lower and lower, as you would expect. 
here's where the hyperdimensional part comes in. In another few days, it actually might have already happened because just before airtime, literally, I saw an email from one of our colleagues that I have not had time to read, and he's one of the people who's been monitoring this orbit. So when they turn the engine, they're going to do both tests separately, two different modes of the same bizarre drive. <clears throat> the spacecraft has no rocket. It has no fuel. It has no means to do anything but drift and sink lower and lower, and eventually, if something isn't done, it will enter the atmosphere and burn up. That's what everybody would look at this payload and at this mission and say, okay, it's going to burn up. Why? It doesn't have any engines in a conventional sense. What it does have is two versions of a hyperdimensional drive, which literally is, is tagged in that article, in the uh, Universe Today article. Read what the experts, the naysayers, the skeptics say is impossible because of their physics and what they think, you know, how they think the universe works. Well, it works a little differently than those guys think. Alfred knows it and I know it from two, again, very different perspectives. But if they turn this thing on, and they may already have done this, that was the kind of emergency email that I got that I haven't read yet. And during the next break, I will read it and I will report to you what Greg has found. Um, when they turn it on, the idea is that without any conventional Newtonian third law action-reaction rockets, meaning you <clears throat> heat up a fuel, excite the, uh, the molecules to a high velocity, squirt them out the back in something called a rocket engine, and the uh, reaction, remember third law action-reaction, will drive the spacecraft forward. That would be the only way under every conventional view of science all over the world tonight uniformly is what cannot happen a spacecraft without a rocket cannot move in space and will eventually die it'll burn up however if they turn this thing on and it works as i'm forecasting apart from a broken wire which we'll find out about if it works it changes on planet earth tonight everything let me repeat that if this experiment works if their intention the ivo folks with a guy named richard mansell at the helm if this visionary engineer's vision works it will mean they can raise the orbit uh, their plan is to raise it 60 miles 100 kilometers so that the worldwide tracking i mean literally after the show tonight we're going to put up on on the top of the uh, other side of midnight website the direct link so you can watch monitor in real time the worldwide tracking by all kinds of different governments and different agencies and different you know intelligence groups and all that you can watch this orbit change if they turn it on and it works because their their intent is to raise it to about 60 miles now <clears throat> I have put in a request to Mr. Mansell to come on the other side of midnight and talk about his experiment. And he said they're only going to do it, you know, when the experiment is done, meaning they turn it on, it works, and they achieve their objectives. The Forbes magazine article, which I posted, you know, a couple, three weeks ago, had its writers say, well, basically, if, even if it works, nobody's going to believe them. And you might think that the guy's being a little kind of out. No, he's not. 
I mean, look at how long we have belabored the evidence, overwhelming evidence of an ancient set of civilizations on Mars, and nobody cares officially. Everybody's got their head in the sand. They don't want to know. Well, in the same way, if this spacecraft breaks the laws of physics, smash. If I wasn't fastidious, I would drop a glass and you'd hear glass shattering. So just imagine that in your mind. If this thing works, it changes everything. Not only because does it shatter the laws of physics, it shatters the known conscious laws of consciousness. It means that it is a hyperdimension because as you're going to read in the Universe Today piece, it can't work unless it reaches out time outside current space-time and literally brings en- energy information is from another dimension to use it to move itself in our three dimensions. This one experiment in all of history, one blatantly visible shining beacon of an experiment can prove what we have been saying for decades, there is more to this reality than most people by design, by inculcated design, by the institutions uh, believe in until you die. That's the one break point that you get to, you know, get over there to whatever other realities there are, but you got to die here to do that. Even that may forevermore, and that's part of a much larger conversation. So, That's what's on the line tonight, because if this thing works, it will turn Hoagland's wacky idea of hyperdimensional physics into something that's real, scalable, testable, viewable. And what I've said to Mansell, well, if they don't believe you by raising the orbit, you know, 60 miles, did I tell you this spacecraft has six separate cameras on it? No, we didn't know that until a couple of days ago. I said to Mansell, you know, well, if they won't believe you in Earth orbit, send the damn thing to the moon. Let me say that again. If they won't believe you by changing orbits around the Earth, just send it to the moon. Put it in orbit there. Take close-up images. Bring it back. In other words, this is an experiment which, unless it is sabotaged overtly by the deep state, i.e. they kill it, it is the hallmark the beacon on which a totally different future for 2024 and 2025 and the earth and humanity and each and every one of you listening to me tonight it's the beacon on which a incredibly open and hopeful and positive and self-fulfilling future can be achieved and that's not tiddlywinks That's pretty amazing. So finally, before we close out this block, and then I bring Alfred on in the uh, next segment after the bottom of the hour, there is another experiment being launched uh, tomorrow on an untested mainstream rocket called a Vulcan rocket. Vulcan rocket. And on board, in addition to like 20 or 30 separate experiments, this one is going to the moon. It's going to be the first private commercial spacecraft to hopefully land on the moon with a little help from NASA. It carries, as I said, these experiments. It also carries two separate sets of little test tubes in which there are the ashes of humans who want to be forevermore residing on the moon. 
Now, why is this interesting? It's been done before. Because one set of those ashes are Scotty and Uhura and McCoy and Spock and others from the original Star Trek, including the great bird of the galaxy himself, Gene Roddenberry. He is going to the moon with his friends, his compatriots, his pioneers. And that, of course, is an epic moment in history because if nothing else, I think Star Trek has admittedly changed the curve of the future and we have no idea what's up ahead except it could be very, very extraordinary. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. On the other side, Alfred Weber. Welcome back, everyone, on this snowy Sunday night, January 7th for 2023, our conversation with Alfred Weber, because we're going to be covering a wide range of, well, I'm going to hit it right on the head, probably what I would term hyperdimensional subjects. So let me give you some background on Alfred Weber. Now, the, the actual bio uh, on the uh, Enterprise, Enterprise, on the Other Side of Midnight website is not really apropos of him at all he is so 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 much more so let me just say he's a graduate from georgetown preparatory school he's a yale law graduate in international law university of texas a fulbright scholar um 
Alfred was uh, has taught at two universities, maybe more by now, Yale and the University of Texas. And there is so much, much more to Alfred Weber. So, Alfred, welcome to the other side of midnight. I don't <clears throat> think you've ever been on. I remember we had a conversation some years ago, but our schedules have not coincided until tonight. Tell people, A, how did you get into the entire subject of exopolitics? How did you create the field of exopolitics? And begin with how your education kind of set you up to ask the huge question that everybody should ask, which is, what the heck is really going on around here? Wow, that that's a that's a deep question. We have Thank hours. I, I feel. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, um, toward the end of of uh, two two thousand, let us see. Toward the end of, uh, ooh, I, I have to go back back there. Toward the end of nineteen seventy two, I believe it was. Uh, I was general counsel of the Environmental Protection Administration of the City of New York under Mayor John Lindsay. Oh, I knew John. And, yeah, remember, was, remember was, in that remember in that time frame they had the 75th anniversary of the City of New York, all the boroughs coming together as New York City. Yeah, that 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 was really quite a time. Well, I was, John, I was, I was, yeah, yeah. I, I was at the Hayden Planetarium, and we created a whole program dedicated to the city, and the assemblage of all the boroughs into one unified, you know, government. And John Lindsay was the mayor, and he came to the Hayden Planetarium up there on Central Park West uh, to be part of our ceremonies that night, whole long night. So yes, he was, he was a very visionary guy. I always was surprised he never went further than mayor of New York. Well, I, I, I will tell you this, this story. He attempted to, because toward, toward the end of, uh, of uh, that, 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 that time, John, John Lindsay decided to run for president. And uh, Jerome Kretschmer, uh, who was my immediate boss, decided to run for for mayor, and at that time, I had been reading a lot in the area of hyperdimension, you know, uh, Morning of the Magicians and Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtains, and and I, in my mind, I said that uh, uh, my being inside of a linear kind of urban law enforcement agency was not in my future. So uh, as Mayor Lindsay decided to run for president and uh, uh, Administrator Kretschmer decided to run for for um, mayor, I internally said, you know, this is it for me. And I decided to leave uh, the EPA and to launched myself out and at that time synchronistically i met a uh a professor of experimental psychology at rutgers university dr philip liss who was also an et contactee 
Ah. And that's how I, I sort of uh, uh, became uh, uh, in contact with this area. And that led to, uh, uh, and so I left my, my, my work in uh, January there at, at, at the end of that, that year. And in, and in January I started there and, and that led to in, in, uh, in February, my, my own personal interdimensional experience uh, uh, where I was taken up into an extraterrestrial craft. And uh, not only, you know, and I, I, I read about that in a, in a uh, uh, 750 page book, which is available on Amazon called my journey landing heaven on, on earth. So it's there. <laughs> and not only that, if one goes into it, I have an eyewitness who himself is an attorney um, and who is a former uh, DARPA CIA time traveler and a Mars explorer, Andrew D. Bishago, who was taken aboard the craft as well by the extraterrestrials and who was there as an observer. And, and he and I have both presented at conferences and, and Andrew has publicly stated, uh, and you know, he and I are both mem- members of the bar and we're both uh, licensed attorneys and he's, he's a member of the federal, federal district courts. And, and he has stated how he witnessed me aboard the craft. Um, and not only that, but um, uh, the future president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, was aboard the craft. And that is how uh, in the craft uh, I was prepared, number one, to help in the uh, uh, presidential election of Jimmy Carter and then helped be the uh, director of the uh, Carter Extraterrestrial Communication Project, which was planned in aboard the uh, extraterrestrial craft. And then when it landed, uh, you know, after that, which which, uh, was like a missing time experience, then the whole thing manifested uh, uh, a few years later by, um, uh, number one, a, uh, an emissary from Jimmy Carter's campaign coming to, to New York, inviting me out to lunch at a hotel, uh, inviting me down to Washington, D.C. to have um, uh, uh, a meal during the transition period, you know, in in December between the election and and uh, Carter's inauguration, uh, where I had um, uh, I met uh, Carter's inner circle. They they called themselves JC and the Twelve Apostles. <laughs> when I, when I <laughs> 
<laughs> when I nothing like when having I high aspirations. Room, yeah, when I when I walked in the room, they say, "Y'all, y'all gonna work for Peanut?" <laughs> they they called him Peanut, and um, it was there uh, that during that meal that I that I realized that that what was needed then at that point uh was something that went beyond uh what uh what Washington up to that point had experienced because up to that point they, they had just had con- congressional hearings for example where, where they brought in uh there 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 had been some uh, a great a great UFO flap in Gerald Ford's Michigan district. Right. And and they brought in uh the former Secretary of Defense, uh uh the the guy who was with with the Ford the, the Ford Motor Company. I'm blocking on his name. Robert McNamara. Yeah. Mac McNamara who went to the hearings and said, oh, that was just swamp gas. <laughs> so that was well, what was happening then. And so uh, it was during the meetings with um, uh, down in the mansion in, in Washington, D.C., D- 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 between Carter's election and his inauguration, where I was a special guest, where Carter and I had planned the, the whole thing aboard the ships, with Andy Bishago as the witness uh, uh, that I saw that that we had to go deeper into what turned out to be the uh, the Carter ET uh, 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 you know the the ET communication project and so from there a friend of mine was a um, was a uh, a deep friend of uh, uh, the two scientists at Stanford Research Institute that were doing the um, remote viewing experiment. So I flew out to... This is Russell uh, Targ and Putoff? Putoff and Targ. So uh, my my then wife was out in, in the West Coast and I flew out o- over the Christmas break and I met with, with Russ Targ and Hal Putoff and I said, I've just come from meeting with uh, the, the the incoming president's uh, inner circle, and uh, we'd like to do an extraterrestrial communication project with Jimmy Carter. Because, of, of course, Carter, because he had filed his own UFO sighting report, had promised to make the UFO files public as part of his campaign but more than that he had been taken up into the ships and you know that that was a deeper issue now and, and hang, and on, so, hang on hang on hang on was he aware of this or was this like a screen memory where there was briefings but in the in the 3d world he did not consciously remember he just had an impulse to do certain things you know that is a deep question because what led Carter to send a personal emissary who was 
a, a, a member of a very distinguished Atlanta law firm uh, uh, to meet me at a New York hotel and, and to uh, uh, send a personal emissary prior uh, to uh, the, you know, right after his election and, and to have a deep conversation with me because at that point, I was a consultant to Henry B. Representative Henry B. Gonzalez, uh, the chairman of the House Banking Committee, and he had just gotten the the approval uh, for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Oh. And what is not known, what is not known, is that Jimmy Carter is the half brother of John F. Kennedy. What? See. Jimmy Carter's mother was John F. Kennedy's father's secretary, and she became pregnant with with John Kennedy's father, and John Kennedy sent her back to Georgia, and she was pregnant, and she gave birth. And then uh, 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 Henry, at that time, I was co-director of the Assassination Information Bureau, and we had been lobbying for a, a, a congressional hearing on the John F. Kennedy assassination, which, of course, the reason why John F. Kennedy had been assassinated in Dallas was so, so he would not give the speech at the Dallas, uh, uh, at the Dallas March. He was scheduled to give a speech on November 22nd at 1 p.m. in which he would give disclosure. He was going to give a disclosure speech, and that's why they assassinated him at 12:30 at Dealey Plaza. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't give that speech, mm-hmm. and that was published uh, just this past two weeks by my colleague Robert Morningstar. So this is all interconnected. So oh, Jimmy what Carter's. a tangled web we weave when virtue oh, yes. practiced to deceive, which is my grandmother it, it, used to say, only goes to show we need more practice. It, it, exactly. So, so that why would so that Jimmy Carter must have been completely awake to send that emissary who was a top level lawyer in an Atlanta law firm to, to meet with me at the Hotel Carlisle in New York to invite me down to meet with the, with the inner circle in a, in a townhouse in Washington, D.C. during the transition period where you know, they said, oh, you're going to work for Peanut? So they, <laughs> and that was just after Carter and I had been in this, in this E.T. ship, you see, planning the whole thing. Did you ever, so, did you, Alfred, in, in 3D, you know, this reality, Yeah. did you and Carter ever talk about the ship experience? No. Why not? The most that I... Because I, I I never got to see him personally. Hmm. Let, let let me explain. I um, when I this is this is what I did. Um, I I I went 
from that meeting with the advisors, I then said, well, uh, uh, to myself, I thought, uh, we have to get the Carter White House Extraterrestrial Communication Project going. And uh, Mary Schoonmaker was a friend of mine from New York, and she was a very good friend of, of uh, uh, Hal off and Russ Targ. And so she set it up. I flew out to the, to the West Coast. I, I met with Hal uh, off and Russ Targ, and they said, you have to go and meet with the Futurist Unit at, uh, here at SRI. So they they set up a meeting with the Futurist Unit at at, at uh, there at SRI, the, the Center for the Study of Social Policy. And I walked in and I I told them the story. I said, guys, I just met with the inner circle of pre- incoming president. Jimmy Carter, he's promised to do UFOs, and they're open to a to a UFO uh, thing. And what uh, what SRI does is what they call contract research, right. and that is uh, you you get a research project, and and the federal government pays for it. And so I said, let's do it as a research project. And so I was hired on the spot, and they gave me. An offer, and so uh, I started at the beginning of of a January, and the first day I started, I walked in, and uh, Willis Harmon, who was the head futurist, took me aside on the first day because uh, the the futurist unit there had a contract. Uh, with the Central Intelligence Agency Hmm. to do a 50-year future study of the United States. And he said to me, he said, Alfred, I must tell you that the United States is going to break up into several parts. Okay? Oh. And, And that has stuck with me because a book that I have just come out with is entitled in the future, will the United States of America break up into many, many regions of public inquiry? And that's why you have the red states against the blue states. And 33% of, of uh, voters in Trump states believe that they would be better off if the United States broke off into a, a foreign country, a separate country. And in 2023, the Republican Party, the Texas Republican Party adopted a plank for the secession of Texas. And in fact, in their November ballot, there is now a public ballot, a public ballot for on the Texas ballot for the secession of Texas from the United States. Well, this is not the first time. I remember some years ago, there was a Texas ballot. There was something in the western part of, uh, or eastern part of Oregon, I believe. There have been these secessionist movements 
for at least a couple of decades, but they've never sure they've never really yeah uh, but, until but now look at the, but but look at the current state of relations between Texas and the federal government right now you have had since the beginning of the current administration eight point three million illegal migrants from all over the world, Africa, South America, Asia, China, come in. Well, wait, wait, Alfred, Alfred, wait, 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 wait. They're not illegal migrants. They're refugees. And under U.S. law and United Nations law, which we're co-signers to, refugees applying for asylum get a hearing. The problem with the 8 million or so is that they're so backlogged because the hearing process has been starved deliberately for judges and adjudication and hearings and all the normal legal process that we basically allow these refugees into the country. It looks to American citizens like they're taking jobs Americans should rightfully have, which is not true. That is, I, I beg to differ you on facts. Okay. That's a, mis, a mischaracterization because there is some motivation which is driving a mass migration toward the southern border. And that migration, believe me, during the 1990s, I was the administrator, I was an administrator of the Brownsville, Texas uh, uh, Community Health Center, overseeing 20 physicians, 120 nurses, and and 90,000 patient encounters a year. And uh, uh, I, I was intimately involved with the border at Brownsville. And now, that that is under a panic situation that they are being overrun uh uh there are eight there is no way that 8.3 million people that have come over over the last three years there was nothing like that during the years yeah but you can't compare conditions then alfred you can't compare conditions then to conditions now. Conditions in the third world, particularly in Central and South America, have so deteriorated both politically, economically, environmentally. People are going to want to live. They're going to want to their children to live. It's like if, if, if Reagan used to call us the shining city on a hill. If you are in the valley... And that, you, and that you, is a false narrative, and I challenge it because if you go to these countries... The the uh, mental health asylums have been emptied. Uh, this is a targeting. Of okay, then the let, 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 let me go back to your conversation with William Harmon. All right, remember he's the one as part of the CIA 50-year study that said that we would break, yeah. that we would break up into separate regions. Yeah. Do so you hang I on, believe, hang on, hang on, hang on? This is a conversation. I, yeah, yeah. Do you remember a very famous line from uh, X-Files when I forget whether it was the smoking man or the gray man, you know, this invisible panel? And he was asked at one point, you know, well, what do you guys do? Well, we predict the future. 
And then he goes on to say, and we found the best way to predict the future is to control it. So yes, is this migration? Right. Hang on. Is this migration? Yeah. Is this incredibly, you know, bifurcated political reaction against a quote invasion? Is it all part of a larger plan to in fact destroy the United States of America, maybe headquartered in the CIA? This even goes further and deeper. And that gets to my another of my new books called The Chronogarchy. And the word chronogarchy is a neologism from chronos and archi. Chronos is time and archos is control and it's those who control through time. And it's those and it's that is about the secret time travel government. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You just introduced in the conversation a totally non-mainstream hyperdimensional agency, and we need to document how you arrived at that conclusion, okay? Sure, sure. Um, uh, Let me uh, state how I arrived at it. Um, And we've got three minutes, so do, do the tease, do a setup, and then we'll continue the conversation on the other side. Okay. The way that I arrived at this was through research and through personal experience. Through research, I have interviewed and documented um, uh, the existence of a secret DARPA CIA uh, time travel time travel agency and I have interviewed whistleblowers uh, from there uh, and uh, chrononauts who have traveled through time and I have shown that uh, uh, US Presidents George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Donald J. Trump and Joseph Robinette Biden were all pre-identified by the quantum access uh, DARPA CIA secret time travel project Pegasus in 1971. They were pre-identified and they were briefed in 1971 that they would be future presidents. And uh, that is uh, why uh, U.S. elections really currently are a farce because uh, they have been controlled by the, um, by the uh, chronogarchy. And not only that, in my, in my book, uh, Time Screen, I show that uh, if you go back to the late 1800s uh, to the, to the uh, books, of a a member of the bar in 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 the late 1800s, a member of the bar in in New York City, Ingersoll Lockwood. He writes a, a novels which have uh, characters in there named Pence, named Donald, named Barron, and the name of the novel is The Last President, 
hotel is mm. on the exact location on Fifth Avenue. Okay, hang on, Trump hang on. We are up against the clock. We're at the top of the hour. I get too wrapped up in my guest, particularly Alfred tonight. Uh, we're talking with Alfred Weber, who was an international lawyer. He was uh, part of uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, transition planning for an actual ET communications research project. And he is now introduced into the conversation something so incredibly outrageous, a deep state controlled time travel agency. And someone said to me, we're not letting him finish. Well, I cannot allow, at least I don't on my show, people to make statements that are not supported by evidence. I like evidence. I'm totally willing to believe anything provided there is evidence. So when we come back, Alfred will provide us with evidence of a real time travel agency that's been determining the future of the United States, according to him, for decades. Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, 2024. Gosh, that, that's amazing. January 7th, 2024. My guest this morning is Dr. Alfred Weber, international lawyer, member of the bar, with a vast panoply of experience, both in the 3D realm and others. Alfred, let me, let me ask you, as a member of the bar, you know, and growing up, learning law, you know, getting, getting your JD and all that, you know the concept of rules of evidence. 
I have a lot of very bizarre personal experience that I don't bring on the show because I can't prove it. People would just have to trust me, and I don't want them to trust me. I want them to trust the evidence. So after you finish where we're going, I want you to loop back and talk about the evidence, hard evidence that anybody can go and find that, in fact, these agencies have these capabilities, this technology, and these agendas. Because evidence, ultimately, that's one of our problems of society now. Everybody has their own evidence, and nobody can share because nobody agrees with the other guy's evidence. Go ahead. Okay, well, here I'm I'm reading from pages uh, 21 and 22 of my book, The Chronogarchy, okay? Uh, Whistleblower U.S. chrononaut Mr. Bashago publicly stated that DARPA's Project Pegasus program involving time travel was identifying future persons of interest, including those who would serve as U.S. president, and then informing such persons of their destiny. Mr. Bashago stated that in, early, in the early 1970s, in the company of his late father, Raymond F. Bashago, an engineer for the Ralph M. Parsons Company, who worked on classified aerospace projects, was present at a lunch in Albuquerque, New Mexico, at which uh, then-future U.S. Presidents George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush were guests shortly after they were informed that both would one day serve as president. Andrew Bishago's eyewitness evidence also established that in the early 1970s, through the DARPA program, Project Pegasus, the chronogarchy, had identified future presidents Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton utilizing time travel technology. Mr. Bishago met then-future President Barack Obama in Los Angeles, California, in 1982 while attending UCLA. Mr. Obama, then a student at Columbia University, was visiting former classmates at Accidental College in Los Angeles. A statement was made by the ally of Mr. Obama in the anti-apartheid movement, which revealed that Mr. Obama, then age 20, already knew that he would one day be president. Mr. Bashar revealed the reason that the chronogarchy through Project Pegasus was able to identify Mr. Carter was the, was the then who, who was then the then governor of Georgia in 1971 as a future U.S. president is that the program was in possession of a copy of Exopolitics: Politics, Government, and Law in the Universe by Alfred Lamarmont Weber a book that this reporter would not write until 1999 and would not be published as a library book until 2005, but which bears a quote on its front pages of a statement made by President Jimmy Carter. According to him, Mr. Weber's book, Exopolitics, was among other written works physically retrieved from the future by Project Pegasus and brought back in time to 1971 or a prior time. At that time, 1971, Mr. Weber was general counsel of the 19 of the New York City Environmental Protection Administration and had been placed under time travel surveillance by the chronogarchy through the instrumentality of the U.S. government. Mr. Vachago has also stated that Project Pegasus identified Laura Eisenhower, the great-granddaughter of U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower, as his future ally. 
Thus, there is historical precedent, precedent for the covert political surveillance via remote t- sensing in time of a person of interest like Laura Eisenhower, great-granddaughter of U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Mr. Bishago has publicly stated how, in 1971, he viewed moving images of the attack on the Twin Towers on September 11th, 2001, that had been obtained from the future and brought back to the early 1970s. He has described how, while serving in Project Pegasus, he viewed moving images of 9-11 at the secured U.S. Defense Technical Facility where they were processed after being retrieved from the future on behalf of the chronogarchy at the Aerojet facility that once stood at the corner of Bullock Avenue and Leroy Place in Socorro, New Mexico. In all likelihood, Mr. Rumsfeld, as the defense attaché to Project Pegasus, would have known about and possibly had control over the data about 9-11 derived via quantum access and brought it back to the early 1970s for analysis by the DARPA Research and Development Program under his administrative authority. Mr. Bashago's eyewitness account that as agents of the chronogarchy, Secretary Rumsfeld and others knew about 9-11 decades in advance because data about it was gathered via DARPA's secret time travel program, uh, unlocked several, several of the more enigmatic facts in the 9-11 literature and maybe the key to society's unraveling of the ultimate accountability for the false flag 11 false flag operation that took part on September 11, 2001. A chronovisor probe in the early 1970s on behalf of the chronogarchy by DARPA's Project Pegasus chose an archetypal target in Washington, D.C., Project Pegasus chose to view the U.S. Supreme Court building in 2013 by a chronovisor, and Project Pegasus participant and Mr. Bashago found that, quote, the Supreme Court building was under 100 feet of stagnant water. A Forsyth Institute remote viewing study of natural catastrophe targeted the archetypal Uh, targeted the archetypal target right across from the U.S. Supreme Court building, the U.S. Capitol, in 2013. In all, 39% of the remote viewer reports viewed the U.S. Capitol in ruins alongside deep water. Mr. Bashago has also stated that, quote, that because the chronovisors did not identify absolute deterministic futures, but rather alternative futures in, in the, the, quote, multiverse, this catastrophic vision of whitewashing D.C. might be from an alternative future timeline that does not materialize on our timeline. Results showing that 29% of Farsight remote viewers targeting the U.S. Capitol in 2013 did not see a Washington, D.C. De- devastated by natural catastrophe. Here, then, we have the 2012 to 2013 catastrophic and 2012 to 2013 non-catastrophic futures side by side. DARPA's Project Pegasus chronovisor technology for probing future events in the time-space hologram was state-of-the-art in the early 1970s. 
the chronicarchy acting through Project Pegasus itself was under the policy oversight of Donald A. Rumsfeld as a Nixon cabinet member. It may have been that presidential level decisions were made in the early 1970s to commence underground shelter preparations on the basis of Project Pegasus and other time travel intelligence about the 2012 to 2013 uh, catastrophic timeline. Now, I can go on in in depth, but I just wanted to give you well, a flavor me, me, of the analysis. Yeah, let me ask you a very important set of questions here. Aside from Bashiago, is that how you pronounce his name? Bashago, yes. Bashago, okay. Aside from him, do you have other correlating evidence for what you just read? Um, okay. Uh, with regard, okay, there, uh, Bashago, yeah. Let me answer that this way. Bashago is a whistleblower on two aspects of, uh, of, uh, uh, the CIA's um, uh, top secret activities. One is uh, their time travel uh, uh, unit, uh, DARPA CIA time travel unit known as Project Pegasus. The other is the CIA Mars Explorer and secret Mars bases. With regard to the Mars Explorer and Mars bases, I have interviewed up to six or seven Mars explorers who have been to Mars via the the CIA Mars jump room and have been on Mars at the secret CIA Mars bases. And these, and some of them are NASA astronauts who have been at the secret CIA Mars bases uh, via the Mars jump rooms, which is a form of teleportation. Yes, number one. With regard to the time travel, uh, uh, to date, uh, there may be others uh, with regard to the time travel Andrew Bashago is the principal whistleblower. However, I am a whistleblower because I have been under time travel surveillance by uh, the, the NASA, by, by the CIA uh, national security state, which has uh, uh, time traveled my books from uh, 2005 back to 1971. And uh, in 1971, when I was general IA, and I have reports, and I also made a, a, I've also made uh, lengthy reports about this. I was a disclosure project witness uh, uh, and a, and a, and a, a co-organizer of the Disclosure Project press conference in 2001 with Dr. Stephen Greer, 
uh, and I and I submitted a disclosure project sworn affidavit sworn b- before a, a a notary public uh, to which I've sworn all of these matters as an attorney, you know, so I can lose my license. And so evidence includes sworn verbal testimony is legal evidence. And, and so uh, uh, I am also a witness to the time travel cause uh, I have been uh, in in 1971. I met with 50 50 uh, agents of DARPA CIA uh, time travel unit who met with me under non-disclosure circumstances because they wanted to see what I looked like at that point, because they knew that in 19, they knew that in 2000, I would be publishing a book uh, called Exopolitics that would found the science of exopolitics, and I would be publishing all of these other books. So the, time, the CIA has been time traveling my books, and they have been uh, time traveling all of my books because they knew that that I would be releasing all of these secrets into the public. So I am also part of this. And my sworn uh, uh, testimony, uh, some of which are affidavits, I submitted a sworn affidavit as part of the 2001 Disclosure Project press conference. That is legal evidence because that's sworn evidence and verbal evidence. Just because a witness swears that something is the truth doesn't make it the truth. It makes, no, but it's it, evidence, hang on, hang on. And it's subject to the law can of I, evidence. I, yeah, but the law of evidence is <laughs> you have that to when you evidence. Alfred, please calm down. Please calm you down. You have to impeach please, that it, evidence. Please you calm see, down. Not that. No, no, no. You have it all wrong. You have it all wrong. Well, that's your opinion. You're saying, no, 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 wait, aspetta. When, when in a credible, when in a credible quasi-judicial proceeding, like the Disclosure Project press conference, which was accompanied by many officials, including myself, who was a member of the presidential presidential administration. And we make disclosure statements under oath. And we are, and we are uh, uh, officers of the court and we swear that that is that is verbal evidence, and you can impeach that, but that is verbal evidence. You see, you're trying to say that, oh, that doesn't count, but you are wrong, sir, and I am a judge. I'm a judge right now on the uh, <coughs> on the National and Common Law Tribunal for Public Health and Justice. And, I, and I'm putting on my judge hat right now, and I'm saying, sir, you are trying to undercut 
on this program right now the value of verbal evidence and my sworn verbal testimony at the Disclosure Project as a member of the Carter administration is verbal evidence. And yes, you can attempt to impeach it, but that is evidence of what it states. So, there you go. All I'm trying to do, Alfred, is get to the truth. And yeah, well, I, well, and, 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 I, I have, I, I, I have submitted the truth. I have said that I, I have said I, I have gone through and published uh, the facts that um, uh, uh, I, I have met. Number one, starting in 1971, uh, uh, I was under active surveillance of DARPA CIA's top secret time travel unit. But, Alfred, how do we know that? It's just your statement. She called not swearing it. Doesn't matter. And, unless it's under a legal wait, process, wait, wait, you, can swear, you can no, swear no, no, till the cows come home. Me. You are not allowing me to get out a subtle point, and you are not judicially trained. And you are undercutting the value of evidence here. You have verbal evidence, your experience. No, 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 no. Verbal evidence is more than an experience. When I am, I am an officer of the court. I am an officer of the federal court. And I'm coming in and I'm saying, as an officer of the federal court, What occurred is that is that since 1971, the secret, uh, uh, the the top secret CIA DARPA time travel unit has been monitoring me and has time traveled my books back from 2005, back to 1971. Alfred, again, do we have any evidence but your word? Yes, we have multiple evidence. We, we, have, we, we have corroboratory evidence of other eyewitnesses who saw the book in 1971. Wait, wait, wait. These are people who... Wait, look, why are you interrupting me? Because I'm trying to get to the truth and you're not giving it to me. Wait, wait. I was a judge in the 9-11 tribunal that was put on here in Vancouver. And that was an international tribunal uh, that had witnesses from all over the world. And I was a judge here. And, you know, there were university professors that put that together. And as part of that, we had affidavits, sworn testimony that was put together by whistleblowers 
from uh, from the DARPA CIA uh, uh, time travel program that were that had witnessed that had been taken to the time science laboratories uh, of the CIA in 1971 and had witnessed had witnessed how the CIA had been given future uh, in, in 1971 the time science laboratories of the CIA had viewed all of the future uh, events of September 11th uh, 1971, and and this was in the Time Science Laboratories in New Mexico, and all of that is in our sworn affidavits in in the Alfred. You, you keep talking about these sworn affidavits or sworn testimony. It doesn't mean a thing unless it's in a court proceeding. In a court proceeding, that's a court proceeding. It was a tribunal. What are you listening to? Were you able Look, were you able to bring people up on perjury charges? Was there punishment if they lied? Uh, okay, okay. Okay. How much do you know about law? Not you know that I've as... taught law at two different universities. What do, do, do you know that 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 what you're saying is like ¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶
What of makes Look, what makes an affidavit trustable in general society? Just because someone says we're something. We're not talking about general society. We're talking about a court. Which is under okay. general society as part of the Constitution. This was, of course, in a Canadian, you know, legal framework. You would need to have punishment so you deter people from lying by swearing to evidence that doesn't exist. I'm just asking the process for how we can validate witnesses who say they're telling the truth, but how do we know they're telling the truth? What's the punishment if they lie? Yeah, are, are you talking about, oh, oh, I see. In other words, you're not worried about the fact that the CIA and the chronogarchy committed 9-11. You're worried about that uh, uh, CIA uh, whistleblower Andrew Bashago risked his life, risked his life to tell this truth. Well, let me tell you something, buddy. I was at a conference in Kona, Hawaii. I was at the ET Independence Conference in Kona, Hawaii with uh, Paul Hellyer, the former... Alfred, uh, we're, we're at the bottom uh, of the hour. We will pick this up. No, 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 wait. I can't wait. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, I am seriously debating whether we continue with this because we're not getting anywhere. The witness is making statements, providing zero evidence, getting very upset that I want additional corroborating evidence. For some reason, he seems to think because someone signs a document that magically it represents the truth. No, it represents a statement of their own perception. And it is incumbent upon the rest of us to look at surrounding evidence to see if they correlate and correspond and confirm with that signed document. And apparently that's a very naive approach to uh, the law. You're on the other side of midnight. Um, We shall return, okay? TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. 
Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Um, this is probably, I, I mean, I said in my promo that this was going to be a dangerous show. I did not know it would be dangerous because I did not want my guests to have a heart attack. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to proceed. Let me give you a little background because, uh, you know, until I bring Alfred back on, I obviously can't talk because he keeps trying to uh, shout me down. Many years ago, when I did a presentation on some additional Mars evidence in Los Angeles, very striking evidence of artifacts from the rover, one of the two rovers on Mars, the early rovers. I think it was, uh, um, uh, which one was it? Spirit, the Spirit rover. We found that one of the places where the rover had been, it had photographed really strikingly clear evidence of artifact, metallic, manufactured things, not very eroded, colors still bright, really blatantly obvious. And I laid them out at a conference in Los Angeles. I forget what year this was. And right after that conference, after I had presented in front of several thousand people, this really astonishing data, this individual, Andrew Bushago, appeared. Suddenly, out of nowhere, one day he's not there, the next day he is, with an extraordinary story about jump rooms, time travel, Project Pegasus, secret missions to Mars, having visited Mars with a guy named uh, Obama, et cetera, et cetera. And it completely took the UFO uh, community by storm, and he became a kind of a cause celeb for for months, if not years. Well, I happen to have a few contacts in Washington. I've been around this public policy business for a long time. NASA consultant, network, CBS, Cronkite. You know, you pick up associations. So I called someone who had been a member of the Secret Service. And I said, please find out for me, who the heck is this guy, Bashiago? Where did he come from? Does he have an agenda? Because it smelled to me like a psyops, like a counterweight. In other words, if you throw enough spaghetti of extraordinary, outrageous, inflammatory stuff on the wall, we're seeing it going on right now, right in front of us. People will forget to follow the lines of evidence of the truth, and they'll follow the shiny object 
And of course, Bashiago had a much shinier object than I did. I just had simple, um, you know, evidence, imagery from NASA, stories of hanging out on Mars with Obama. I mean, how could I compete? And several months went by. And my source, my secret service source, came back to me with evidence from the files, because he had access, because of clearance, that Bashiago was and is a CIA agent. And I think you heard Alfred tonight say that he was a whistleblower. Well, you can only blow a whistle if you're in an agency that you uh, are blowing the whistle on. So Alfred is confirming my totally, again, independent data that Bashiago is CIA. If the CIA decades ago was taken over by the Nazi fascist regime of Adolf Hitler, if we brought them into our bosom to combat the Soviet threat of communism and they basically ate the CIA, you know, um, uh, while Bill Donovan's Office of Special Services turned into the Central Intelligence Agency, if they basically took them over and ate them for lunch, which is what I believe historically happened, then anything coming out of CIA agents in this realm or CIA whistleblowers in this realm without separate corroborative evidence, either totally separate whistleblowers who really are, or documentation, memos, whatever, or images or photographs or, you know, the usual assemblage of of evidence must be held suspect. Just asking questions doesn't make you on any side. It means you're asking questions. You know, there's this cliche that Sagan um, wrote down in Omni one, one, one year, extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. Now, I frankly think that in itself is a misleading statement. But the human to information and experience being what it is, the taller the tale, the more evidence you have to provide to support the story, your assertions. And that's just human nature. You know, we we tend not to believe things which are outside our comfort zone. So when someone comes on this show and makes extraordinary claims, like time travel is der guerre, it exists. There are units in the CIA that are using it to purloin the future and read the future so they can direct the future, you know, back to the smoking man. I'm going to ask questions. If I did not, if I just let any guest, Alfred notwithstanding, just talk and talk and talk, and not ask at key points, well, how do we know this is not just your perception, just your view, just your, I mean, let's, let's, let's raise a very interesting scenario, which is that Alfred Weber, absolutely sincere in what he's saying, that he has been mind controlled, manipulated, altered, impressed, you know, from someone with his really fascinating background to migrate to areas where there is no possibility of proof or evidence that any normal person coming to this naively could accept 
just on anybody's word. And I go back to the idea that even a sworn statement by a member of the court, unless it is opposed by counter-counsel and cross-examination, means nothing. That's why we have a cross-examination process in a trial. That's why Donald Trump is going to get extraordinary representation, cross-examining every witness, every piece of evidence marshaled against him under the Constitution, and only after a very lengthy, complicated, and very competitive process will a court adjudicate his or innocence based on opposing counsel. Tonight, I'm trying to represent opposing counsel. Alfred has made certain assertions. I'm simply asking for documentation or, you know, factual confirmational evidence, hopefully from a variety of sources. And he's listed this one guy, Bashiago, again and again and again and again as his source for ultimate truth on all of this. And that's where I draw the line. My audience deserves no more, no less than me asking questions. And what's so interesting is that in this field of endeavor, the arena in which opposition, you know, uh, critique, skepticism can be brought to the fore is extraordinarily rare. When people listen to programs like this and they listen to, you know, UFOlogy or ETs or sight phenomena, whatever, mostly the host simply sits and lets the guests talk and tell a story and all that. People love stories. I love truth. And you only get the truth in our limited human way by cross-examination from different points of view and the provision of evidence which stands in the middle, resolute, regardless of a process which tries to derail it. I do not know whether Alfred will be there when we uh, go back to him. So let's find out. Alfred, are you there? Why, Why wouldn't I be here? Well... You're a little heated, and all I'm trying to do is get at the truth, which is... I, I'm not peevish. Look, I, I, uh, I'm a judge on a tribunal, and I spent uh, two and a half hours this morning uh, as a judge on the, uh, uh, <clears throat> on, on the National and Common Law Tribunal for Public Health and Justice dealing with the issue of smart cities. Uh, and we dealt with the issue of the pandemic. Uh, from uh, November 20th until now. And uh, I was a judge on the Vancouver 9-11 Tribunal. And as we discussed before this uh, program, I was a judge on the Kuala Lumpur War Crimes Tribunal that that, uh, found... um, Uh, George W. Bush, Richard B. Cheney, and um, uh, Donald H. Rumsfeld, and also U.K. Prime 
prime minister guilty of war crimes for the unlawful invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and that was in, in the news uh, this, this, this past week uh, because uh, South Africa just brought a, a, uh, a, uh, <clears throat> an action at the International Court of Justice, the, the ICJ, against Israel for genocide. And amongst the evidence there, and, and uh, one of the commentators there was a, a gentleman uh, who, who has been uh, on, on the war crimes tribunal with me, um, uh, Francis Boyle, an international human rights lawyer whom, whom you know, who, who was a peer of mine. So I, I ask you that you uh, accord to me the same sort of respect that you would accord to Francis Boyle. And uh, among the evidence against uh, Israel is, as you stated at the beginning of the program, or maybe it was in our, in our conversation, is that uh, uh, 20,000 plus civilians have been killed. Well, it's not just 20,000 civilians, it's 10,000 children and 10,000 women of childbearing age. So it's a targeted genocide. Now, I was asked to come on to, uh, I have the document that I submitted to your program uh, to talk about the topics. I'll read from one paragraph. One paragraph says, as Alfred revealed in his book, The Chronogarchy, about 50 personnel of DARPA CIA top secret project Pegasus time travel unit had met with him in 1971 as a non-disclosure location in New Jersey when Alfred was general counsel and assistant administrator of the New York City Environmental Protection Administration under Mayor John Lindsay in 1971, DARPA CIA top secret project Pegasus time travel unit has secretly time traveled a paperback version of Alfred's. Alfred, iconic... we've been over this. No, 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 wait. I know, but I'm just stating that you're making it out that you didn't have notice that, that I was going to talk about it. No, I no, not at all. No, not at all. No. I'm, I now, simply want to know I'm, how do I'm you decide... How do are, are you going to let me talk, or, or, I, or is this about you? If you, you keep saying the same thing, all if, over me. If you, because, Look, because you're not, you, you're, you are a skeptic. You are a skeptic. Skeptic in Greek means dog. So you are just cutting down. You, you are just cutting my credibility down, but you don't understand how tribunals of conscience work. You don't understand what the Kuala Lumpur War Crimes Tribunal was. You are a person... Alfred, who... we're not in a tribunal. We're on a radio show. Your perception... No, but, but your... you are objecting to affidavit evidence. Yes, I am, making... which is unsupported by anything but an affidavit. There's no way to validate the validity of an affidavit without a that, process. That is not true. How do you do that it That is not true. You, you evaluate the nature of the affiant and the sworn evidence in it. It, it, it. 
it's like you're saying, oh, that's just a scientific paper. That's just a scientific paper. That's nothing. That's just a scientific paper. Oh, that's just a legal paper. That, that's the exact same thing that, that you're saying. I'm just saying, oh, that's just a scientific paper. That, that's the exact same thing. You are using a de minimis argument here. When you publish a scientific paper, argue- can I please say something? When you are publishing a scientific paper, it goes through a review process. Right to a peer review process. Yes, and most of the time, yeah. it's, it's so most of the time. Hang on, I, hang on. Most of the time, you are not letting me. Tribunal, it goes through a peer review process. It goes through the judges, and they pass on it. And so how do the they judge? What is, the what is your on it. what is your process for judging the accuracy of signed affidavits? Well, we 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 uh, we. We, we have, uh, first of all, we have uh, we have counsel for the uh, for the prosecution. We have counsel for the defense. We we have uh, 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 we we have papers on both sides, which are submitted. We we review this. We. We discuss it among the judges, and then uh, we we come to uh, a decision after judicial review. That's the same thing as scientific evaluation. It's so when Bastiago came to you and gave you this these stories and information, how did you? It, how it was did affidavit. You, how did you? It, it, it was submitted in affidavit. Yeah, but how did you evaluate? What what legal process was Bastiago part of? He was a sworn witness in the Vancouver 9-11 tribunal, uh, which was which included uh, myself and uh, uh, Judge uh, Rankin. Judge Rankin was the leader of a major Canadian political party and a major Canadian civil rights lawyer and judge. Okay. So this was a. And we so had this was 20, a. So <clears throat> let me understand. Was this a government proceeding or was it a private civil action? This is a tribunal of conscience. Yeah, but that doesn't okay. mean anything to people. Let, okay, wait. Define, wait, wait. I, define I, I what it is. That, that, you, you have please? a large area of ignorance. No, okay? my audience Which has a large area of ignorance. I'm trying to fill here. I'm trying to fill. <clears throat> the, the archetypal tribunal of conscience was the Lord Bertrand Russell Tribunal on the Vietnam War in London in the 1960s. And tribunal of conscience arise when there is a, a large global genocide going on that the civil courts refuse to address. So this is an and extra so legal tribunal. It has no official no, standards. No, 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 no. You are confusing 
the civil courts. No, 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 I'm not. I'm using law. the term civil, meaning you are in society. The civil courts with everything that exists. No, I'm not confusing a civil proceeding in court. And I want to know civil is this. courts are one part of law, tribunals of conscience are another part of law. And what is their enforcement mechanism? Their enforcement mechanism is that, you know, for example, our, our enforcement mechanism is to go to constitutional sheriffs or to go to uh, uh, the civil tribunals, is, is, is to go to, look, uh, we went through this process these are enormously important issues. Now you have to deal with it. You see, that's what the, for example, what the Lord Russell Tribunal during the Vietnam War did. Uh, uh, you know, this is where there's a tremendously important genocidal issue that's not being looked at. You have important people uh of good faith, like our tribunals, for example, have, we have 20 to 25 people of good faith from four continents around the world that looked at the issue of 9-11, for example, as a false flag, because the United States courts refused to look at it as a false flag, okay? And so that's what we did. Uh, that's just for example. And I have been a judge on four important tribunals of conscience on important issues because I have taught law at important law schools and I'm a person of some substance that has 13 books on Amazon, including exopolitics and books on the omniverse, okay? And if you don't want to respect me, that's fine, because this is your show. But I'm sorely disappointed, Richard. I thought that you had more soul, to, to tell you the truth. I think that you, sir, need an education and a broadening of the soul and a broadening of what you will allow in your, within your universe. Because the fact that you don't even know what a tribunal of conscience is bespeaks volumes. The fact that you don't even know what the role of the Russell Tribunal was in international law is just unspeakable to a person like myself to whom international law means a great deal because the United States of America is a lawless country. And you belong to a lawless country and a genocidal country. So that's my point. And I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And, and you're, and, wait, wait, you know, Albert, Alfred, are you a citizen of the United States? It's your country too. I was born in May 24th, 1942, at the U.S. Naval Air Base in Pensacola, Florida where my father was a lieutenant in, in, the, uh, in the U.S. Navy training troops, and I'm a direct descendant of John Alden of the Plymouth Colony. So I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of the original 
U.S. citizens. Well, you said your country like it isn't yours either. I'm also a Canadian citizen because on my mother's side, uh, she's a Canadian Chisholm, Chisholm being a Scottish name, uh, 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 you know. So I'm a dual can we citizen come back of to Canada the, can and we, of the United States. Alfred, can we come back to the central question, which is, Bashiago testified at this tribunal. I've, it's taken me two hours to get to this point. He swore affidavits to the validity of his testimony regarding Pegasus, time travel, chronovision, etc. at this tribunal, right? With regard to 9-11. Yeah, but in order to re- do it for 9-11, he has to validate the existence of the project itself. Which yeah, you- yeah, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm glad to put the the link and it would just take me a, a minute or so to find the the link to his affidavit i'd put it in, in the site absolutely we you... should have that link now here's my next question yeah. if he was under oath was he under yeah. oath yeah they, he, he, well he he was sworn a, a, affidavit yeah you what you, is you the legal if, if 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 an affidavit signer lies what is the penalty? What is the it's okay. a simple question. Why as a lawyer, okay, let me let me let me really get it to you. As a lawyer and if there were a person like yourself who really wants to go after him and I can and and, and you seem to be a person who is determined to keep the truth of the chronogarchy from the American people and the world people, you can go after his bar license and you can get him disbarred. Okay. So go at it, go at it, go at it, Richard, get him disbarred. Frankly, I haven't thought of Bashiago for years until you brought him up tonight. Well, that, that is your fault as a broadcaster, your fault. The fact that the, the uh, CIA planned uh, uh, 9-11 in 1971 and had 30 years of planning forward from 1971 uh, to 2001 and had 30 years of forward planning on uh, the false flag of 1971. And you have sat on that. That is your problem as a broadcaster. It is not mine. Okay, Alfred Weber is my guest this morning. I'm hoping we're going to get back to the uh, central conversation that I wanted to have. I just want to know how you evaluate witnesses and evidence. I just want to know how you find out the truth in a very contentious, polarized environment. Again, I really need to do the Epistemology Show. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this now uh, Sunday night, Monday morning edition of the program. It's still snowing in the land of enchantment, and it's Monday morning. My guest this morning is Dr. Alfred Weber, who is an accredited attorney, international attorney, public policy expert, and who has presented as his evidence that there is this secret Pegasus chrononaut etc. program in the bowels of the CIA which knew or planned, I'm not quite sure what his position is 30 years before 9-11 that it was going to occur we only have one major witness who signed an affidavit that he was telling the truth my question again is if Bashago we'll be very specific here if Bashago is lying about everything, which has been my conclusion for many years. What is the separate, truly separate, corroborative evidence that Bashagio is telling us the truth? Do we have other whistleblowers? Are they mind-controlled? Is this part of a much larger disinformation program to distract from real hyperdimensional extraterrestrial interference in the human nursery with false trails, false evidence, false testimony, false everything. Again, I'm asking questions that need to be asked. When the president of the United States, the former president, Donald Trump, is brought through four trials, actually, I think it's five or six now, and there is a verdict, either innocent or guilty, on the 91 counts you can believe that the american people in fact the world is going to demand the highest level of representation by his attorneys trying to poke holes in every scrap of evidence presented by the government that's the way the process works in this tribunal which, frankly, I'm not sure has the force of law. I think it's more of a uh, political, public policy persuasion effort because 
I don't know of any citizen tribunals that have had any effect in larger societies, but maybe I'm wrong. If, if, if I am, and Alfred knows the answer, maybe he can show us an example where one of these tribunals actually affected the future of its society for the better or for the worse. You know, they don't always work. But I want to, without the hysterics and the hysteria, I want to get at the simple process questions. How do we know that any of this is real, that there is a Project Pegasus, that, you know, Bashiago was a witness to um, Alfred's meeting with Carter on a spacecraft somewhere and conveniently just told him, yeah, I was there, I saw you. Am I asking really outrageous questions? No, I just, given that the stakes are so high, given that we are at a turning point in human history, unlike maybe anything in the last 26,000 years, yes, my standards for evidence and proof beyond assertion are, I think, reasonable. Alfred? Well, look, uh, Richard, um, I I used to be a host on WBAI, so I kind of know your job. And in fact, I um, did the first live radio broadcast. It's called The Incident of Cooperation Between the United States and the Soviet Union in History that was nominated for an award on the floor of the General Assembly of the United Nations. So I know how to be a radio talk show host. Um, I did not know what your mindset was. I thought you were an open-minded person and that you knew about time travel. I thought, I I didn't know that you were this close-minded. I thought that, I just want evidence. Wait, no, no, wait, let me finish my statements. Uh, well, you're making I all kinds of assumptions you, about me that are not true. I sent you a paper. You're making a statement about a, me that is not no, no, true. Wait, I am holding a copy of my 798-page book called The Chronogarchy, which includes the proof of all of this. You have not read The Chronogarchy, and yet you're saying... There's no element of proof. A scientist does not say that. You know, you're, you're, I mean, how can you you say that when you have not even read the 800-page book called The Chronogarchy? You don't know any of the cases in there. You you don't know them. Number one. Number two, I am the second whistleblower. I have been under time travel surveillance by the secret DARPA CIA Project Pegasus Quantum Axis Time Travel Project since 1971, since I was general counsel of the Environmental Protection Administration under John Lindsay, who visited your observatory in New York. You know, number one, you're a scientist, you have not read my 800-page book, and you're dismissing it. That is not how a scientist behaves. Number two, uh, I am on the air. I am the other witness, okay? You, 
you're, you're making absolute statements. Uh, Mike, um, uh, if I'm outraged, it's because your behavior is outrageous. It's non-scientific. How can you make statements when you have not even read the primary textbook? <laughs> you haven't read it. You have not read the fundamental text. When you when you field. when you provide as your prime witness an individual that I know is lying, I but really am suspicious. How of do the... you know that 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 he's lying? I, I believe that. He is telling the truth, and he is a member of the bar. I'm on the phone with him weekly, and he is a member of the bar. He is legally blind. He is legally blind, and he, is, he goes weekly three times a week for dialysis, okay? He is a man who has extreme health challenges, because the national security state has chosen to go after him. I was at a conference in Kona, Hawaii, giving an address when he called me uh, from the mainland and said, Alfred, the office of President George W. Bush has called, just called me and told me that they, they cannot guarantee my safety if I continue to talk about George W. Bush being pre-advised by a time travel of his future presidency. Alfred, Alfred, that, Alfred, you know, Alfred. That, yeah, yeah. You, Alfred, you, know, you, you are Alfred. You, you Alfred, are you're not listening. Who, who is I want to ask a question and you won't listen. Just no, because you are you you commit interruptions. You don't commit questions, but go ahead. Again, just because someone says something doesn't make it true. But I have investigated this person for the last 23 years, deeply. Well, let's take a further step backward. How do you know that Bashiag was mind-controlled? Because... I have a degree, I have a master's degree in counseling from the University of Texas, and uh, I am a licensed, I am a psychotherapist. I'm both a lawyer and a psychotherapist, and I am skilled, and I'm married to a psychotherapist, and I, I know when a person is mind-controlled and not from personal experience. And I spent many years in practicum during my training as a, as a, as a psychotherapist. And Mr. Pashago is very clear. Very clear what? He's, 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 he's very clear in his thinking. He's not under mind control. He is very clear. He made a decision based on the Constitution and on constitutional values to go forward publicly to make this known to the American people that, that uh, uh, this technology was being hidden from the American people 
and that important decisions like the pre-identification of U.S. presidents and their briefing years in advance of the elections was happening such, such that this was uh, making U.S. elections a charade. So that's a deeply uh, a, a person who is, is motivated by deeply constitutional and, values. And in, in counter-argument, I would propose that another idea would be if some elements of the CIA have wanted to destroy the United States for decades, the way you do it is you undermine normal citizen confidence in elections so they become meaningless, so people do not attach value to the concept of democracy, representative government, liberty, all the things we used to hold dear, and the country will dissolve all by itself. And all you need is a few convincing witnesses that will convince people that their faith in the foundation country is misplaced. So, so you're, what, what you're saying is that, is that the chronogarchy is disinformation. Is that, is that, I don't know. Page book. I don't right, know. Right. Well, you have wasted three hours of my time in, in convincing arguments saying that you're a scientist and you haven't bothered to read an 800 page extensively footnoted. Alfred, reading, reading your book. Reading, reading, Alfred, Alfred. When I was a, 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 uh, when I was a WBAI talk show host, I would at least read the books of the guest. You have not, okay? You have not, and this is cheap radio talk show hosting. It's cheap. It's cheap and lazy. It's cheap and lazy, and you know it. You have not read a word of the chronogarchy, and you're dismissing it through can't. Well, I'll tell you what. We had about a week's notice we wanted to do this show. That isn't bullshit. And? You had a week's notice. I wanted to do it. You invited me. Yes, a week ago. I didn't do anything. You contacted me. Alfred, of course. Come on. A you week? contacted me. A I week? didn't contact you. Well, what does Richard, that have to do with Richard, anything? Richard, can I, didn't I step in for a second? On, on the show. Let you, me, you contacted me right before Keith, New Keith, Year's Keith, and Keith, said Keith, you wanted to be, me to be your New Year's Keith, guest. Keith, I said, fine. Let me bring, Alfred, let me Alfred. bring you on in a second. Okay? I, want, I want to complete a thought here. No, because you're, you're upsetting our guests. I want to tell a story. I'm pretty sure our audience would like to hear one of my exploits at ABC that connects with this exactly, okay? I've been vilified by you and Ron every time I bring up a certain subject. And now I want to say you're doing the same thing with Albert that you do with me. I'm trying to tell you and Ron about something that's written in stone thousands of years ago. It's not Photoshop. It's, it's no King James version, no King Solomon's version, but you guys keep shooting me down. I had an incident where I was vilified at ABC. We were replacing our 800 tape machines, and Sony had come out with this brand new machine. 
these guys bring this machine back downstairs. And I said, I thought you were supposed to be deploying these in the edit rooms. Oh, the editor looked over at the waveform and saw something walking through the vertical. And I said, okay, turn the machine off. Let me see what's going on. I turn it off, turn it on. Waveform comes up clean as a whistle. And then I see this pulse rise up from the center of the waveform, extends above and below the waveform, and starts walking across the waveform. And I said, it looks like a fan coming up to speed to me. These guys went crazy, just like you've been going. You and Ron have been vilifying me about this whole thing about the Anunnaki and the tablets. And all I said to them was, are you sh-? they got crazy and said, no, these things all have AC fans in them. There's no DC fans in these things. And I said, are you sure? This is a new machine. Anybody look at the schematics? Then they stopped. They looked at the schematics, and guess what? Sony had replaced the machines, the fans, AC fans with DC fans, and they reversed electromagnetic force was getting back into the video and manifesting as that pulse walking across the video. Now, that was an observation by me, but they couldn't accept what I told them. The schematics were there, but they didn't look at them. Those tablets that I've been trying to tell you guys about are written in stone, and like I said, they have been photoshopped, and not just stitching has interpreted them. There's at least four or five other people that have interpreted them. Those are the schematics of this planet because they're the oldest known writings. And you guys keep dismissing them. And when you're listening to Albert telling us something. You mean Alfred. Alfred, excuse me. Sorry, sorry, Alfred. Telling us something about a technology and understanding that we have no clue about, but yet the Palladians, they have time travel. They told Edward Meyer. They told him about things that, that were going to take place in the future and things that we thought we knew all, all about. But yet they told this guy stuff that was going to happen, why things were happening. And all of this stuff fell into place when we got into that time frame. But right now, Albert Alfred is telling us about possibility of time travel. Time travel does exist because the Palladians said it exists because they've traveled forward and backward in time. And how do we know that? Because someone told us. You're looking at that machine was looking at original evidence. You weren't listening to some tech say, oh, I saw so-and-so. You had the machine you diagnosed it correctly because it was original evidence. You have the expertise to say, oh, it's got to be that. And it was. And the but tablets. You, but you and the, I don't the read Suma- schematics. But you and I do like not this. read schema- uh, Sumerian cuneiform. You're but dependent on I, other like I experts. Said, there's more than one person that interpreted it. Doesn't mean they all can't be wrong. It, well, when everything falls together. And there's multiple people who are not as related to one another, not and they're connected, all interpreting yes. it the same way, or at least they're they're translating. When you it the say same there are other people, the only one I know who's done this is uh, Stitchin. No, Stitchin is not the only one. Him and his professor were one set. There are other tablets out there, because Inky said that his brother in Lil had had written a book as well. So there's tablets, other tablets, and who has, has translated written. them? Uh, other people, because the tablets are in the museum, they have been translated, and they are not just stitching 
and his professors. I know of no one other than Sitchin, S-I-T. That's because you haven't done your homework. Well, you make that claim, but let's make it true. You don't know what homework I've done. Uh, Rich, Provide me you, another source you stood away from the subject of UFOs for how long and didn't touch them, and now that it's become mainstream, suddenly you want to jump into the river. See, and, now, and now, you're attacking my, now you're attacking my credibility and my Well, that's what you're doing character. with Alfred. You're no, with Alfred. I am yes, asking him to define terms. And he the fact is that, doing that. No, he's but not. But you are not letting him talk to finish his story. You're making a historic record here, okay? Somewhere in the future, someone is going to look at this and go, you know, these guys were following this, and they weren't paying attention to what was in front of them. Let our guest speak and tell his story. We're making a record for the future. So let him tell the story, whether you believe it and or I'm accept it or not. And I'm trying to do an appropriate cross-examination. He no, is he is a human being like you and I are. He's telling And he is the guest. He is a human being, and you must treat him with the respect that you should expect to get. So please well, let I him Well, I certainly haven't gotten a lot of it tonight from either of you. you. No, you are sitting here. You interrupt every time, and all the comments that come in, you interrupt your guest when you should be sitting there listening. No, intently. I shouldn't be anything. I should be doing what I... Feel I have to do, which is to cross-examine truth. You think Ted Koppel would have got the, the stuff out of Campanus when he said that line in Nightline if he had been interrupting him every five seconds? No. Let the guest tell his story. That's what the listeners call in for. They want to hear the guest, not you, because you interrupt too much. Well, this is certainly an interesting way to start 2024. <laughs> well, you read the comments in the in, in on the website, okay? I I post I post them. Look at them. Alfred, are you still Look what there? They say. Alfred's still oh, here. I, I'm I, I am listening with ears, and what is being said is golden. And, and thank God for the listeners. You know, there there is a God, and thank you, listeners. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, and thank you for those for, for those comments. I mean, thank you so much. I've, I've invested uh, a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of my soul in this program, and uh, <clears throat> it has been quite a struggle. Alfred, when I point. emailed you and asked you to be on the show, I said I wanted yeah. to talk about anti-Semitism you know, Israel, Gaza, the, the disaster which is unfolding, which is absolute genocide. And we, how do we know that? Because several ministers around Netanyahu in various ways have talked about ethnic cleansing. They've talked about using a nuke to make Gaza a parking lot. It's blatantly obvious there is absolute systematic genocide going on between Israel as a government and Gaza. Because we have all kinds of independent evidence. It's not one person, not one source. It's 20,000 people. It's images, television of maimed children, of, of absolute horrible. I mean, this is the worst catastrophe in modern human history, even worse than World War II. The number of people killed in our saturation bombing of, of Nazi Germany was a pale shadow 
of the saturation bombing that Israel, the Netanyahu government, has been carrying out on Gaza, obviously with the ulterior motive of cutting off food, water, fuel, anything that a civilization requires, so those two million people will leave. It's obvious what they're trying to do, and it's the, the world's silence is stunning. That's not what we're talking about. We have gotten so diverted from what I wanted to focus on, which is why this intense hatred focused on this tiny piece of land on Earth for millennia. And what are the real origins and what we might present in the form of evidence? Well, look, yeah, look, I'm a very experienced and world award winning talk show host. If you wish, I can segue to the other topic and I can make a very good presentation. But you have to let me talk. It is sort of insulting to myself who's a faculty member at top universities and a writer of 13 books to be constantly interrupted. Okay? So I'm just asking for your, as your fellow staff member said, to be able to present. Okay? You're acting as an institutional skeptic but without much sense. No, I'm not. I'm asking as a as a someone who wants to know. I ask questions to know. I don't look, have to believe look, anything. When when you contacted me, I got a one sentence invitation. It said, "You are invited, and please talk about your recent books." So I sent you a note which summarized my recent five books. And it, it sent a link to my article on the extraterrestrial origin of the Hebrews' advanced intelligence, okay? That's what I did. So that's the origin of this program. So I had no idea what was in your mind, okay? Boom. That's the truth, okay? So... We can either go through this process or I can segue to the Hebrews' advanced intelligence. What, what would you like me to well, do? Well, given that we advertised we were going to talk about the origins of the Hebrew problem that we're facing, a minuscule percentage of the world population so focused with hatred and violence against them, and now what they're doing is exactly the same thing in mirror reverse. What's the end of a cycle of violence? You have to have insights. You have to have background you have to have evidence for why okay. it's going on so let's in the next half hour we'll have about a half hour okay. so now I, I now I, I i i've learned a lot in the last two and a half hours there is no way that i can prove anything about what i'm supposed to say because i don't have an extraterrestrial here in the room <coughs> I don't have a Draco reptilian here in the room, and I have a Category 6 extraterrestrial from Hebra, the Hebrew planet, here in the room. And, and so all I'm going to do is do a hypothesis and tell people 
hypotheses. So there is no proof in your language for anything that I'm going to present over the next few minutes. But Alfred, the very fact that you'll frame it as a hypothesis, totally appropriate. Because these are all hypotheses until we have commonly agreed upon evidence. That's what the whole legal jurisprudence system is supposed to be about. Yeah, I, I wish you would have said that two and a half hours ago, you know, and let me present the chronicarchy as a hypothesis. But here we go. Well, hang okay. on, hang on. We're at the bottom of the hour, so we have to take a small break. Okay. All right, let's do this. Let's take a small break, and then we'll come back. And for half an hour, Alfred Weber and I will discuss the seminal origins in my hypothesis for why we have incredible problems with the Jewish people that will not go away, and if left unchecked, could in fact wind up with World War Three. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, $0.02.5 per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to this um, really singular program to start the new year on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is Dr. Alfred Weber. And Dr. Weber presented, and it wasn't an email to me, it was a general email to a very long list of people, the exopolitical origins of the Hebrew people. Now, I may differ with the term origins. Because I, my first question, of course, is, are they extraterrestrials or are they terrestrials who've been contacted by extraterrestrial sources who gave them interesting and crucial information? A non-trivial distinction. 
So let me let Alfred put forward his hypothesis because, again, in the spirit of UFOs and ETs are now a subject of great wide interest. They've been validated as areas of human experience by the mainstream to be curious about. Progress can be made. So, Alfred, you have the floor. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, And I'm cognizant of the time. Um, I just want to quote that as a reminder of the relevance of exopolitics to Hebrew issues, I want to quote from the foreword by an Israeli rabbi to my 2000 book, Exopolitics, that founded the new science of exopolitics, the science of intelligent civilizations in the multiverse. Rabbi Dr. Nathan Lopez Cardozo, noted author, scholar, and lecturer, dean of the David Cardozo School, Machek or Aaron, said, of my book, I urge everyone who has an open mind to read this exciting and fascinating book, which is so thought-provoking that it breaks all barriers of logic and rationalism and makes ancient theories tangible and real. And that's a, a, uh, an advanced rabbi in Israel talking about my book, Exopolitics. Okay, now, this is hypothetical. And what we're dealing with is a, a book uh, called um, a, a book uh, 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 called uh, the Tiauba Prophecy by Michel de Marquet. And Michel de Marquet's story is that he was uh, taken by extraterrestrials to their planet. And I'm not making any claims at all. And and while he was on their planet, he was told many stories, one of which is the origin stories of the Hebrews. And the origin story of Hebrews Hebrews on earth are descendants of uh, a a spaceship from the planet Hebra, H-E-B-R-A, which crash-landed on earth. And uh, the the survivors of of that uh, uh, are the origin of the Hebrew race. And the planet Hebra... Uh, is a Category 6 planet, and Earth is a Category 1 planet, i.e., uh, the, the uh, Hebrew people are very advanced in intelligence and ethics, etc. They're an advanced human planet. And the exopolitical source suggests that uh, it is the Hebrews' advanced intelligence due to its Category 6 extraterrestrial origins that gives rise to anti-Semitism in some earthly cultures, such as hypothetically the Islamic Arab culture, driven by such base cultural emotions as jealousy. And myself, as a longtime exopolitical and ET disclosure advocate, 
I would urge appropriate and gradual public relations measures that publicly confirm and affirm any positive Category 6 extraterrestrial origins or something like that. I'm not advancing the truth of that particular story this person was told, and advanced intelligence of the Hebrew people as being a long-term positive solution resolving the underlying causes of, quote, anti-Semitism, including, quote, cultural jealousy, as it is humanity's destiny to rejoin universal society and acknowledge advanced extraterrestrial cultures, such as the Hebrew people, if they are proven to be exopolitical in origin with honor and acceptance. Now, at the same time, Category 1 planet, we are a highly targeted planet. And what, what is evidence of this, as we have uh, d d d discussed, is that Earth is in competition, uh, uh, in competition uh, with both earthly divine souls and with Draco reptilian souls and the whole background of the Lucifer rebellion. And I have interviewed uh, many researchers on the Draco, Rebe Draco reptilian background, including Gary Peter Carlson, who elaborate on their hypothesis. For example, that the 1942 Philadelphia teleportation experience uh, experiment resulted in a tear in the time-space fabric of Earth circa 1748 to 41, resulting in an interdimensional portal facilitating the entry of possibly uh, up to a large number of arconic and reptilian souls into the Earthian incarnation cycle, notably the incarnation of the Rothschild dynasty of arconic souls with these duality consciousness. Duality consciousness is I when you lose versus um, uh, unity consciousness is we are one. Dominating the human controller systems in government, finance, religion, uh, uh, etc. So that what we have here on earth now uh, is, a, is a system where we're all in human bodies but if you go, the the controller bodies in the the controllers in politics, government, military, media, finance uh, are reptilian souls that are incarnating into these bodies, and, and so that you have a small number of Draco reptilian and arconic souls that are controlling these positions and thereby uh, maintaining uh, a, a war, disease, crime, and poverty uh, program over the 7 billion human souls. And so that is the basic program here. And when you get, for example, in Israel, the, uh, the, the Netanyahu and the leaders of Israel, those are draconian souls who are uh, carrying out uh, 
the October 7th uh, false flag um, uh, uh, genocide where my colleague Francis Boyle observed that South Africa has now filed the case at the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, uh, for a genocide where uh, Israel has uh, genocided uh, over 20,000 Palestinians in in Palestine. And when you get down into the actual evidence, and I can uh, uh, send in for more evidence a link to a program by Australian broadcaster Max Egan, whom I have interviewed, showing that of the 20,000, 10,000 were children and 10,000 were women of childbearing age. In other words, these draconian souls inside human bodies targeted a genocide. And now their plan is to, they have destroyed all of the homes, is to take the, the remaining Palestinians and to ship them around the world. So that is a classic uh, genocide, okay. Alfred, and, Alfred, uh, Alfred. et cetera. Yeah. Question. This is going on on live television all over the world. Yeah. How come there is not a visceral, raging, public, global response against the outright genocide with indiscriminate 2,000-pound bombs more in a month that were then were dropped on Germany in two years of World War II in a region the size of Manhattan, you know, 20 miles long, seven miles wide. It's just insane, and nobody except South Africa, which is ironic as hell, has raised a legal okay. finger against this. Why not? Well, there there is there there is. Uh, there is great outrage against Israel. There have been wide demonstrations both in the United States, in South America, in Europe, and elsewhere against Israel. And, yeah, but I'm uh, talking about a legal process uh, no, wait, in, in, in like the do, world court. Do you want me or... to explain? Okay, wait. South Africa is a very advanced country. And and to undertake a a uh, <clears throat> to 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 undertake a case at the ICJ takes a lot of fortitude, and I have here two articles that I, I can share, and the reason why everybody is congratulating South Africa is that South Africa went through the experience of apartheid and so they are bringing that experience and that knowledge to this case and so with that experience and knowledge they were able to overcome the power that the reptilian uh, oppress that the reptilian Zionism has to keep all of the other governments in line to bring their case at the ICJ. And so that's why South Africa did it. And I can send you a very extensive article that comments on the fact that it's South Africa's uh, long experience 
uh, under apartheid that gave it the consciousness to be able to uh, throw aside uh, the, you know, the, the power of the Zionists and bring it, you know, at the government level and uh, led South Africa to go uh, uh, at the, at the UN. The one cannot understate how powerful uh, the Zionist level uh, at the, the Zionist power, which is reptilian-led, it's not the the Hebra extraterrestrial extraterrestrials of light power. Rather, the the, the Draco re, 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 reptilians have infiltrated the 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 Hebra extraterrestrials so that they appear as villainous. And, and so that is uh, why it's so difficult here. So that is kind of the case. I know that this is a very abbreviated presentation, and I hope that your listeners, which I think they do, they, they seem to have a very sophisticated listener listening capability, and I'm just showing this distinction to them between the leadership of Israel at the Netanyahu level, which is Draco reptilian, and at the people level of Israel, which are advanced mystics, uh, etc., and that beautiful level that we know of of the Jewish people, of the Hebrew people. Do you have do you have do you have first person contacts? legal or at other levels, uh, in Israel? Well, I'm married to, to a, a Jewish whose, 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 whose mother was, was, was from that, that area. And, and so I'm, I maintain uh, active, act, active contact, sure. Okay. The reason I ask is because, again, I'm an evidentiary kind of guy. Looking at the situation from October 7th on from the outside, particularly when the New York Times found there was a multi-hundred page study of the Hamas invasion plan that was ignored, totally ignored for a year by the Netanyahu government. We know specifically who the intelligence analysts and the Mossad were who figured it out who pointed out the actual, you know, test, uh, uh, you know, simulations, the, the procedures, the mock, you know, invasion, everything. And they were totally ignored. And then on the, on the morning of the 7th, the fact that 10, 12, 15 hours went by in a country the size of New Jersey and the vaunted IDF who went and rescued the hostages. Okay, can I counter that? Let me my question. But, but we're short of time, so I, I just want to counter your point. Well, I'm going to say when there is a tribunal in Israel, which there will be, how much evidence can be presented that this, in fact, was a deliberate false flag and planned as part of a yeah. get rid of the Palestinians once and for all, the Palestinian solution. 
Yeah, I think that there there is a tremendous amount of evidence that this is a false flag, and I I, I can marshal it as such. It's it's out there uh, in the videos of Max Egan and others, and I must tell you that my wife and I a number of years ago were invited to a yoga camp in Paradise Island, Bahamas, right at the time that Hamas. Uh, went into power. And when we arrived at the yoga camp, we were surprised because everyone there was Israeli. In fact, every, every yoga teacher was a member of the Israeli army. And it was an Israeli listening point. And so we spent a week there being, you know, doing yoga, being taught yoga by the Israeli army, and we had no idea it was going to be the Israeli army. It was just amazing. Well, isn't everyone, hang on, hang on, hang on, isn't everyone in Israel a member of the, you know, volunteer force? They can be called up from the reserves? Yeah, but but this was an Israeli army listening point. And how did you find that out? I mean, it was quite military. How did you find that out? Alfred, Alfred, how'd you find that out? How do you know that? How how what? How do you know it was an Israeli listening post masquerading as a yoga center? Because it was obvious that 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 that's what it was, and and so you know they were Israeli army officers and they addressed each other as Israeli officers, and we had conversations over the course of a week. Okay, and. And the and and we had long conversations with the commander, and and the commander over the course of the week told us, isn't it great that Hamas has now arisen? You know, and they just went on to give all the praise of Hamas. Wait, wait, you mean, you mean you Hamas? You mean wait? I'm trying to explain you something. And I'm that trying you to ask about. when I don't understand something, I have to ask a question. When they said arisen, I, I, I haven't even finished the sentence. You, you how many con- how many knowledge. how many conversations do you have where people don't interrupt when they don't understand something? If I don't understand I, something, I let, can't let you get on because then I won't understand what you're saying. No. When you, you say when, when you say the commander knowledge. when you say the commander your your mo is to defend against new knowledge no and it's that's not what this program it's is to all ask about. now you you're con- making conclusions again of the, you are a representative of the deep state sir oh give me a break you on. are you are yeah you are a representative of the deep state I will Look, put my track record the, up against yours the, any day of the week the the commander of this yoga camp who was an Israeli officer spent the whole week bending my ear about how great Hamas was. And we spent a long time there because Hamas was created by the Israeli intelligence and is a creature of the Israeli intelligence. And all that you do is you repeat the New York Times you are a propaganda promoter. That's what you are. The New York Times You're just published a, a the New York That's what you the are. New York Times just published a major expose where it proved that Netanyahu oh, oh, sure. that Netanyahu I, I, 
Netanyahu was having Qatar fund Hamas, which right, which right. validates right, 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 right. which validates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look, look. You you want to keep the secret of nine eleven secret, and that's what you've done. What does this have today. to do with nine eleven? And 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 if there's a court. You're the one that's going to go to jail. We're, we're so cool. I just thank want to you. tell thank you that. Thank you all. So Boy, I'm just telling you that if there's a defendant that'll come out of this, <laughs> it's you. Laugh, laugh. Is, laugh this, all you Alfred, want. Alfred, this is hysterical. If there is a defendant, it's people like you, because there's people like you that's keeping evidence from being heard. Did you hear There's what I said? Like you that, 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 that you, keeping evidence you, of the you false hear, flag of you, October 7th from being heard. You can't take yes for an answer. I'm agreeing with you. From my analysis and others, the Israeli October 7th looks like a false flag at a minimum because of deliberate um, shall we say resistance? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank, oh, thank you very much. And 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 when you first and when testimony going back to the time of the creation of Hamas, first-hand testimony that I witnessed from the very mouth of an Israeli army officer. See, I come here as a witness. And why would he tell a total stranger? Why would he tell a total stranger this? Not a total stranger. I'm somebody. Don't you understand that they invited me there? You don't understand who you have as the guest. You are you are a really ignorant man. You don't understand you that I'm one not, of the leading futurists on the planet. You did not. You don't understand why why it was that uh, DARPA CIA time traveled my books from 2005 back to 1971. You don't understand what a true prophet is. You are really, you know, you're something. You live, you are a materialist who is, who is profiting by using the words multidimensional while, while not giving respect to the reality of multidimensional. I live in multidimensions. I live in multidimensionals. I live in time travel. That's what I do. Okay. I must say I'm learning a lot tonight. Thank you very much. It's 2024. We, you know, times are changing, sir. So let's get back to Israel created Hamas, which I'm willing to believe because we now have documentary evidence that Netanyahu supported Hamas for years. Actually, he authorized Qatar to do it as part of some kind of arrangement. And then when D-Day came, when October 7th came, for a state the size of New Jersey, it took them half a day to get the IDF to rescue the remains of those, you know, people, those tragic victims in the southern part of, of the country who had been invaded by the fighters. That looks like our 9-11. It looks like an inside job. Exactly. And now... So why are we fighting? Went, why are we fighting, Alfred? We're on the same side on this one. No, it's just... And then... And then they 
and then since and since October 7th, they have genocided 10,000 children and 10,000 women of childbearing age, and now they're getting ready for the second part, which is to export the Palestinians around the world. But those are the reptilians that are inside uh, the bodies of those Israelis that are controlling that, you know, and the and the and the Hebrews from Hebra are, you know, and so our our job now to make planet Earth an enlightened planet is really challenging. It's it's to it's to eject uh, the reptilians from the planet and to educate and bring and bring enlightened human soul leadership into power and restore human soul leadership to earth as a divine soul incarnation planet. And that was the mission of Jesus Christ. So there you have it. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes till the end of the show. What 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 do you want to leave our audience with? What I'd like to leave our 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 audience with is that this has been a noisy show, but I think it has ended up in light, and uh, uh, that might be for a process that might. Go ahead. No, that that's what I'd like to leave. Well, your your Skype is cutting in and out horribly. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Because the the one of my in the future will be not America breaking regions of public and and I think that I was given a. At, at the CIA, they had done Alfred. I can barely, I can barely hear you being interrupted. And we're at the end of the show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let you decide whether there was anything of value that came out of tonight. I do think I want to point out that Alfred and I agree. What we're seeing in Gaza is a human tragedy deliberately planned and more at a future date so until then same time same bad channel remember third star on the left straight on till morning good night everyone platform to perform on.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.